This has nothing to do with my message. Actually, it sort of does, but Christy gave me this scripture this morning, and it just resonated with me. It just, just sprang to life, and sometimes scriptures do that. And I have a sense that this scripture might be for someone else in addition to me. Christy gave it to me, and it's a wonderful scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's for you. Just receive it. Let God minister to you through that word in Jesus' name. We're in John chapter 14. And John chapter 14 follows John chapter 13, surprisingly enough. And it's important because what happened in John chapter 13 sets the stage for John chapter 14. Jesus begins John chapter 14 by saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why is he saying this to the disciples? Well, he had just told them in the upper room in John chapter 13 that one of them was going to betray him. He also told Peter that Peter would deny him. And he told all of them that he was going to leave them, that he was going to be taken and killed. And so understandably, the hearts of the disciples were troubled. And it was a troubling that was real. There would be a betrayer. There would be a denier. Jesus was going to the cross. So their hearts weren't troubled for no reason. Their hearts were troubled indeed. And Jesus is responding to that in chapter 14. And I think that it's so important for us to understand as Christians, just because we have come to faith in Christ, our lives don't become smooth and easy. In fact, if anything, the opposite is true. Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. That's a guarantee. There will be things in this life that you experience that are troubling to you, that are difficult for you. But Jesus said, take courage. I've overcome the world. So you may have trouble in this world, but as long as you're with me and as long as I am in you, you can take courage. And here in John chapter 14, Jesus is giving some truth and some tools to the disciples to help them deal with troubled times, to help them gather strength through troubled times. And hopefully this will also speak to some of you. Because the reality is, is that some of you here this morning are troubled. And if you're not troubled this morning, you will be troubled at some point in time. Some of you, when you saw the stock market close on Friday, were troubled. You're disturbed. You're upset. What's going to happen to my nest egg? Some of you are going through family discord that just is constant and repetitive. And it never seems to go away. And your world is troubled because of it. 
Some of you have loss in your lives. Perhaps a loved one. Perhaps failure in a business, in an endeavor that you have engaged in. There's all different kinds of sources of trouble in our lives. Things that disturb us, unsettle us, create some kind of turbulence for us. It's going to happen. And it's real. And in John chapter 14, Jesus gives five different tools and truths that can give us strength in troubled times. So hopefully this will will speak to your heart. It will resonate for you. First truth is that we have a pathway to heaven. Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, there's no other way to the Father except through me. It's a very exclusive statement. Jesus says, there is no pathway to heaven but me. No religious system, no source of enlightenment, no strength or ability that you possess that is going to get you to the Father. You must travel the pathway of Jesus. He is the truth. The word there is aletheia, which means the substance of or the actual truth. Not just truth about something, but the actual possessor of truth. That is what Jesus is. He is the way. He is the path. He is the truth. He is the possessor of what is real. And he is the life. He is the Zoe. He is the one who gives us that spiritual life that connects us to God. There is no other name under heaven, Peter said, whereby men must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Now, that's exclusive, but that is the grace of God that we have a pathway to heaven that is so singularly identifiable. Imagine if there were dozens of different pathways to heaven. How confusing would that be? It's the grace of God that He has given us one way to heaven, and that is by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and the gospel. So we have a pathway to heaven. Now, we must understand that heaven is not just a state of mind. Heaven is not some kind of ethereal, floating, cloudy uh, place. Heaven is a real place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Look what he says in verse 2. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Now, if you read carefully in Revelation 21 and 22, what you will see described is the place that Jesus has gone to prepare. The four-square city, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what Jesus is working on right now. Keith Green had a song. said, I can't wait to get to heaven. It's a beautiful world all around us that God created in six days. But he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. 
And it's true. We have a pathway to heaven. Jesus Christ. And that knowledge, when we're going through troubled times, difficult stuff, that knowledge that heaven lies before us, that indeed heaven is your real home. This life, James said, is a vapor. And those of us who are growing older understand that. How quickly life passes by. But heaven is our real home. That is our real place of residence. And knowing that, knowing that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, that he's going to come back to gather us together and take us to that place that is wonderful and amazing and has the very presence of God illuminating it, helps us. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It helped Jesus. The writer to Hebrews said that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the suffering of the cross. And so sometimes when we're going through difficult situations, troubled times, challenging circumstances, it's that joy that is set before us, the knowledge that heaven awaits us, that carries us through it. Paul wrote to the Romans that the trials and tribulations that we're experiencing in this life are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed in us. Now that's important for us to get because sometimes we get so focused on this life and our experiences in this life. And this life is important, don't get me wrong. What happens in this life sets the stage for eternity. Indeed, there's a judgment seat at which Christ will sit and he will evaluate the works of our life. It is in this life that we come to faith in Christ and that pathway to heaven is made known to us. So this life matters. It's important. In this life, Jesus has promised us many wonderful things. But ultimately, we must understand heaven is where we belong. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And that's the place where you truly, really will dwell for eternity. So we have a pathway to heaven. Secondly, we have the privilege of knowing the Father. In verse 1, Jesus said, You believe in God, believe also in me. And then later in verse 20, he says, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So through Jesus, we are introduced to God the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus answered and said, Don't you know, Philip, even after you've been with me so long, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So we have the privilege of knowing the Father through the Son, through Jesus Christ. And knowing the Father means that we have been introduced into the family of God. You are a child of God. You have been born again into his family. And through Jesus Christ, you can look up and say, Abba, Father. 
And he is a good father. He cares about you. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved also by my father. And I will love him too and show myself to him. You are loved by your father in heaven because you are a part of his family. His eyes are continually upon you. Now, it's true. Some of the times, the circumstances we go through make us wonder, where are you, Father? God, don't you know what I'm going through? But like any good parent who wants their child to grow up to be mature and self-sufficient and able to stand on their own two feet... The Father allows us to go through some challenging circumstances so that we might be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, what do you think they're going to call you? So we are growing up in the family of God, and sometimes that is difficult, but God's eyes are upon you. His love is with you. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, John the Apostle wrote, that we should be called the children of God. Now think about it. Think about the fact that right now, sitting next to you is your Father, your Heavenly Father. He's got His arms around you. I want you to imagine that image for just a moment because it's true. God loves you. And we have the privilege of loving Him and knowing Him through the Son. And that carries us through difficult times. You know, it says in in Hebrews that sometimes the Father disciplines us because He loves us. Every child who is loved by the Father is disciplined. So sometimes as children, we're disciplined. But understand, you have the privilege of knowing the Father, and the Father loves you with an everlasting love. Third, and I was really glad to see the the movie trailer because it was a good introduction into the concept, the, the, the reality of the power of prayer. And that's the third strength or truth that carries us through troubled times. Look what Jesus says here in verse 12 through 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the power of prayer when you're going through difficult, troubled times. The power of prayer. The assurance of met need. Look what Jesus said there in verse 14. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So prayer is powerful. And it has to be, as the the trailer showed, somewhat strategic. Sometimes the depth of our prayer life, and it's sad to say, but it's true, the depth of our prayer life is reactive. It's a response to something that's happening. And, and don't get me wrong, God absolutely responds to that. He absolutely responds to that. But there's so much more 
to prayer and to the power of prayer in our lives that I want you to engage in, to benefit from. And particularly as you head into difficult times, as you're going through them, as you're coming out of them, prayer will sustain you. Prayer will enable you. It is through prayer that you receive exactly what you need. Now, you need to understand there, verse 12 says that we must believe in Him. Prayer requires faith. We must believe that we have received that which we have asked for. In Mark chapter 11, there's a great verse about prayer. And sometimes these verses on prayer are almost too wonderful uh, to believe. But, but, you know, it's what Jesus said. In verse 23 and 24 of chapter 11 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, truly. In other words, he's reemphasizing. This is absolutely true. I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Whoa, did I just read that? What's the mountain in your life? That's what I want to know. That's what you need to, to speak to. That's what you need to, in faith, give to God. Because Jesus says, if you say to that mountain, throw yourself in the sea, and you don't doubt, you believe that God is in it, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Prayer is powerful when we believe. Now, James said, the person who doubts in prayer should not expect that he will receive anything. He's unstable, tossed about. Like the waves of the sea, James said. So we must believe faith in prayer is absolutely essential to success in prayer. But notice also there that Jesus says, you must ask in my name. Now that is so much more than just tacking on in the name of Jesus at the end of your prayer. Which we do, and it's appropriate that we do, say in Jesus' name. But the real substance of in the name of Jesus is that we are praying, representing that this is the will of Jesus. This is the purpose and the plan of Jesus as we pray. We are submitting our will unto his. What does it say in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in prayer, we must pray in faith, but also pray in the name or in the nature or according to the will of Jesus. Jesus is our intercessor before the Father. That's why it says here in verse 12, he who believes in me will do the works I have been doing and even greater than these because I go to the Father. How is it that we're going to do greater works than Jesus did? Well, it's because, and we'll get to this in a moment, the Holy Spirit indwells us. But secondarily, but not less important so, is that Jesus is interceding on our behalf before the Father. So when we ask in His name, when we align ourselves with His will, we can expect to receive anything we ask because it will be according to His will and He is glad to answer that prayer. Now, the challenge for us in prayer, church, is that alignment of our will with his will, isn't it? You know, Steve talked about the uh, lottery. 
How many people do you suppose were praying in Jesus' name for $1.5 billion? I'm just saying, there were a few. We were all laughing at what Steve was saying because we all did that, didn't we? We were all thinking, should I buy a ticket? Some of us did buy tickets. And that's okay, I'm not judging you for that. I'm just saying, it very well may be, in fact, for most people, it was not God's will for them to win that lottery. Praying in the name of Jesus with the power of faith behind that prayer absolutely assure you of receiving just what you need as you're going through your time of trouble. Absolutely guaranteed, without a doubt. Now like the, the, the older woman in the, the movie said, she had a strategy to prayer. There was a method to what she was doing. She understood the power of prayer, but also the battle that exists within the lives of those who pray. There's so much more that I could say about each one of these topics, but I want to get through all five of them, and I've got two more to go. So we have a pathway to heaven. We have the privilege of knowing the Father. We have the power of prayer. And then we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, of course, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would send, that would come on the day of Pentecost and fill the disciples. And for every believer ever since the day of Pentecost who has trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt them. That's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? That God dwells in you? Now, that's a, that's a, a truth that is mind-boggling, to say the least. I'm looking out at a congregation of saints, understanding that in each one of your lives, in each one of your physical bodies, in some fashion, the Holy Spirit dwells. He is, Jesus said, with you and in you. So the presence of the Holy Spirit, as you're going through difficult times, challenging circumstances, gives you the power that you need to carry on. The endurance that sustains you. He is with you. He will not leave you. Look what it says there. He says that the Father is going to give us another advocate. That word another is alos in the Greek. And it's another of the same kind. So what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit, guys, is going to do for you exactly what I would do for you if I were here with you physically. So the Holy Spirit in your life, in your body, is just as though Jesus were walking right alongside of you each and every day. The presence of the Holy Spirit is that powerful. He's the spirit of truth. He will teach us about Jesus. In fact, it says in John 16 that he will guide us into all truth and he will speak to us of Jesus Christ. So it's the spirit of truth that guides us through the storm that we are going through. Shows us the way. Helps us in every circumstance and situation that we're going through the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but listen to this listen to this you know him 
for he lives with you and is in you. Do you know the Holy Spirit today? Do you understand the power of his presence in your life? If you do, then it's going to be a lot easier to walk through that storm if you understand that God is in you and with you and is guiding you. Finally, and I'm not going to say this is the most important, but when we're going through troubled times, it certainly is the most wonderful. Jesus says in verse 27, this is at the end of this encouragement to the disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So the fifth tool that Jesus gives us, the fifth truth that Jesus gives us to help us through troubled times, to help us gain strength in those storms of life, is his peace. The peace of Jesus Christ. Now notice he says it's not peace like the world gives. Peace in the world is just an absence of conflict. Peace treaties are signed and nations agree not to go to war. But that's not really peace. That's not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. There's an aspect of that in our uh, experience with God. We have been reconciled unto God. And that reconciliation, literally what that means is the hostilities have ceased between us and God. We are no longer at enmity with Him. What that means is that we have peace with God. There has been a peace treaty signed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about the peace of God. The peace of God that allowed Jesus to lay asleep in a very small fishing boat with 12 disciples while the Sea of Galilee raged around him. Master, Master, awaken! Don't you know that we're going to perish? What's going on, guys? You of little faith, didn't I not tell you we're going to the other side? That's the peace of God. That in the midst of the storm, you know you're going to make it to the other side because God has promised you. Let the peace of God reign in your hearts, Paul wrote to the Colossians. In other words, let it rule over every aspect of your life. When things are happening in your life that make no sense, that you're not exactly sure how to navigate, you can be assured because of the promise of Jesus Christ that you're going to make it to the other side. Be anxious for nothing, Paul said to the Philippians. Now, in the Greek, nothing means nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to your stature? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving. Tags that on, with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. Power of prayer again. This is what Paul promises. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will be able to sleep in the boat, assured that you'll get to the other side, regardless of the waves that are crashing about you. It's not peace like the world gives. It's different. It's not a concern. Look, look what he says here in verse 30. He says, I can't say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. That is Satan. But he has no hold over me. And he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Satan is going to come. Through deception, he leads uh, Judas to betray him. The Sanhedrin to turn him over to the Romans. He will go to a cross and die a human death. But he has nothing in me, Jesus said. I'm going to rise on the third day. Sometimes we be disturbed by the circumstances of life. Sometimes the battle that we are in, the spiritual warfare that swirls around us can cause us disternation and trouble. But Satan has nothing in you either because you are in Christ. You have a pathway to heaven. That's your real home, your real destination. You have the privilege of knowing the Father who has lavished his love upon you. You have the power of prayer available to you and the presence of the Holy Spirit with you always. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of strength in troubled times. I pray for this congregation because I know that there are many who are going through extraordinary circumstances, difficulty that uh, just boggles my mind. And yet I know that you have promised them peace and strength throughout this and that their testimony, their witness in the midst of this can speak volumes to others about the reality of Jesus in their lives. So I pray that you would just be with each one of us in a special way. Let not our hearts be troubled. We believe in you, Jesus, and we believe also in the Father. In your name we pray, amen.